Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello, and welcome to Basic Folk. Hello, hi. Hey there, it's Cindy. I'm the host of Basic Folk. Nice to have you here. We have honest conversations with folk musicians on this podcast. And today we are very excited to be talking to Samantha Crane, who had a hell of a time in the summer of 2007. She had just released her album, You Had Me at Goodbye, earlier in the year, and was ready to roll out for a busy schedule of touring the new music. By the end of the summer, she was laid up after experiencing three car accidents where she was hit all three times. A combination of those crashes and lifelong tendinitis and carpal tunnel syndrome led to her hands literally not working. She was not able to play the guitar or tour. A very dark time set in from being homebound and not being able to play guitar or write songs. Through physical and emotional therapy, she slowly started to heal. She also took this time to document some past trauma by recording herself talking on a tape player. This led to a lot of self-reflection and shedding of old lifelong anxieties. When she was well enough, she began to write songs based on what she had been documenting and processing. This resulted in her new album, A Small Death. We talked about the new album as well as Samantha's very interesting life. A member of the Choctaw First Nation, she values using her native language to modernize the indigenous experience for herself and other young native people. We talk about her dad, a Southern Baptist evangelical preacher who would perform music as well as feats of strength at religious tent revivals. She also shared a little about her experience as a weightlifter. Samantha Crane is truly one of a kind. I wish her the best in her continued healing journey and with the new album. We're going to take a listen to a song from the new record before we listen to our conversation with Samantha Crane. This is Pastime from the new album. We'll check it out and then get to our conversation with Samantha Crane on Basic Ball. Samantha Crane, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So um, you were raised in rural Shawnee, Oklahoma, um, which I have never been to. Uh, I've never been to Oklahoma. So would you be so kind as to give us a sense of what your town is like? Well, I don't live there anymore. Um, I left pretty quickly when I was about 18, 
So Shawnee itself isn't super rural, but I grew up sort of in the outskirts and then in a town called Dale. Um, I mean, I would I say Shawnee isn't rural. Um, it probably would be for anybody that's from a city, but for anybody that's like from or familiar with the general uh, layout of the Midwest, Shawnee's about 20,000 people. So that's like the big city from where we are. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I would say from my experience, I didn't, um, it took me a long time to even get into music or know about music just because I didn't really have a lot of outlets for figuring out things that I was interested in. I mean, if you weren't into sports or FFA, there was just sort of a lack of, um, I guess, mentors or teachers or any sort of way to like find out about that stuff. Because this was also sort of like pre-internet being accessible to everybody mm -hmm. as well. So um, I spent a lot of time by myself. I spent a lot of time driving around once I got a car, sometimes before I had my license because my parents were kind of like a bit laissez-faire, I guess, <laughs> with <laughs> how I was raised. But um, yeah, I, I think I was a bit aimless as a kid, honestly. Um, and then... I sort of slowly started discovering live music by going to some shows in Oklahoma City whenever I got into how, my teenage years. How far was that from Shawnee? It's about 45-minute drive. Oh, not too bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would just kind of, like, go into Oklahoma City, and there was a sort of a DIY punk venue called the Conservatory uh, back then that I would just go to shows all the time and just I think that was my first introduction to seeing that there were people not too much older than me that were making music and their job was playing shows so I think that was something I, that would have never occurred to me right. that was like a thing that people did isn't it funny to think back about the shows that you went to as a teenager before you like actually knew what music you liked yeah, yeah. I went to everything. I would mm -hmm. literally, I was like a sponge, you know. I I grew up in a really religious family, so a lot of the music that I was introduced to whenever I was growing up was like Christian music. Um, but back then, Christian music was kind of all over the place, too. It wasn't just like, uh, I don't really know what it's like now, but I feel like there were like Christian rappers and there were Christian emo bands and mm. there were Christian pop stars. I mean, it was kind of like all over the place. I don't think it's like that now, but it was a really int And they also toured with um, mainstream bands too, which is something that like does not happen now. Right. Um, and so that was sort of an introduction into other things. Um, it was like the modern day version of like Spotify telling you, you might like this artist if you like this artist. It was just by like going to these little venues and seeing what other band was on tour with whatever band you were watching. That was that was like the original algorithm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. The analog algorithm. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about your dad because you talk about him quite a bit. But what was your family structure like growing up? Like who was in your house? Who was in your family? Um, I mean, it was just like me and my mom and dad and my brother. Um, I'm assuming that you're referring to his like powerlifting and his like music evangelism and like yeah, who is this guy? <laughs> it's funny because I I think into it now um, seeing like the person that I've become as an artist and how many different sort of baskets you have to have your eggs in in order to like make a living in the world of being a creative person. Right. Um, it's kind of funny because he was sort of like that. It wasn't really specifically geared towards the art world like I am, but he literally anything to like make a measly buck you know it was like you would figure out how to do it um but so yeah he I guess first and foremost he was a 
he is, I guess, still a competitive powerlifter, which powerlifting is like um, sort of the scrappy underbelly of weightlifting, which is like what you see in the Olympics and stuff. It's sort of like the thing that was grown out of a bunch of like sweaty dudes working out in each other's garages like in the 50s and 60s. And um, so he competed in that sport and it was like a family thing like his dad did it too and his sister and his brother and you did it for a while right yeah it was something that I did in my childhood it's sort of like um if you have a really specific body type it makes you like kind of just naturally good at it because of like low center of gravity and Mm. a bunch of weird like stuff and we just happened to like have that as a family I guess um but I did it for a while and um it wasn't necessarily because I liked doing it It was just one of those like it wasn't really an option I would say (laughs) like it was just like most things that like parents make their kids do because they think it's like instilling something into them or something like soccer or piano lessons (laughs) mine was just really weird and like made sure that I had no friends because I was like a power lifter as like a girl in a small town in Oklahoma so that that sounds like a one-way ticket to popularity (laughs) it definitely was not Your relationship with Oklahoma seems like it's been, like, pretty complicated for you. So you live in Norman, Oklahoma, um, but when you were growing up, you felt like you didn't fit in, but you also had, like, a desire to belong there, and it was extremely Christian and conservative. And you had a really great quote. You said, I feel welcome and alienated all at once um, about (laughs) your state of Oklahoma. But um, despite that, how did you land on accepting... Norman and accepting Oklahoma as your home? Um, I think, I mean, it is a really complicated relationship that I have. Some of that has to do with me being a Native American and knowing the history of that in this state. Some of that has to do with um, me having a certain set of values in terms of, uh, I would say, what, what, uh, I don't know, like me having a certain set of like social values, I guess, and those not necessarily being the widespread opinions around here, but also me feeling a hundred percent like it's me whenever I go, like just the other day I was out like location scouting for this music video and I was just driving around in my pickup truck and there were like cornfields and I had on my like camo t-shirt and like my dog is in the car with me and it's I am like quintessentially in touch with that like hillbilly that I am and there is something really uh that I've always like struggled with not like feeling like I should just be able to like you know, slide right into the groups um, around here, here, but like um, not really knowing what to do because the people that are sort of the artists around here are very like anti uh, those people and separate themselves. And then the people that are, I guess, you know, the townies or whatever, they don't share the same values as me. So it's just one of those like, weird things that I've I've constantly found myself in and I guess the reason why Norman kind of works for me um I mean I moved around a ton in my 20s to like different places just kind of searching for some sort of place that maybe would feel more like it clicked better for me but I just honestly as much as I love traveling and touring I couldn't really find that like any more than I could here in Oklahoma and um, I think Norman works like that because you kind of have a um, strange little community of people that I think also kind of feel the same way as me. Like they really, really resonate with their Oklahoma-ness, um, but they also have like a set of values that's like a bit different from maybe the rest of the state. Um, 
there's there's also just sort of um a community nature of this town that I really thrive off of um that I that I haven't really been able to experience in some other places just in terms of it being small enough where I can like know people and run into people um but it also being big enough that like it has resources for me as a person that like needs to get to an airport or needs to um find certain I don't know I don't know what I need but <laughs> just <laughs> I find feels, it here <laughs> I find I feel like I you know I, it's like big enough to where I can get things when I need it or whatever but it's small enough um to where it it uh it doesn't feel like overwhelming I guess so you're a member of the Choctaw First Nation um and I really love the way you talk about indigenous people creating new traditions with their native languages um, in that you feel indigenous languages, if those can be furthered and like modernized, then it's a real tool of empowerment for younger people who um, based off of like society, like incorrect societal presentations of native people, um, they don't feel quote unquote like Indian enough. Um, so rather than like quote yourself back to you, I'll just would love to hear um, about your experience with your language and also like the emotional process of learning the language, particularly I heard you talk a little bit about learning from Dora um, and how you drew this conclusion of using it to help change the narrative. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of what you said is is sort of my outlook on 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 the importance of language, of using it as a tool to, um, I, I think, to give younger Indigenous people the confidence to claim their Indianness, um, even though they've they kind of, for the most part, I think, have grown up, especially like the urban Indian, the Indian that like doesn't live on a reservation or isn't. Um, or didn't come from a background that was like 100% steeped in tradition, um, giving them sort of the confidence to um, come out on the plus side of, of that like struggle with identity and with authenticity. Um, I think my, my friend Tommy Orange wrote this book called There, There that... Um, is an amazing book and everyone should read it. And it was, it was like a, it was a, on the bestseller uh, list like a few years back, but he had his, the whole point of, um, of that book is, is the feeling of like the urban Indian kind of existing in, um, all the time being reminded of this like buried ancestral land, this like, um, unreturnable covered memory um it's it's sort of it's sort of like being constantly reminded that like the federal government was like trying to erase Native Americans that everybody thinks that Native Americans don't exist anymore um that sort of thing and so those I think those individuals especially um having language as a tool um, to sort of reclaim that identity, even when they're surrounded by a world that sort of yells um, that they don't exist anymore, um, I think is really powerful. And I mean, even if you can't get to um, get to a place where you can learn the language, I'm I'm lucky because the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma language has been a huge. Um, it's been really high on their list of like important things over the past few years. They've like really, really worked hard on implementing language programs and making them accessible to the people within the tribe. So I'm really lucky that it's like easy to get that education of the language. Um, but a lot of tribes only have, you know, um, one, five, 10, 15, um, speakers left. Um, I think, 
you know, preserving those languages is important, but even more important is being able to kind of claim anything that you do as an indigenous person as, as a continuation of the indigenous tradition. Not, not that it has to meet some sort of standard for like what native things look like or what native behavior is. Um, like you yourself are a, um, a continuation of of that heritage whether or not um it look it, but that's like a hard thing that's a hard confidence to be able to to give yourself when you've been told something different for generations for generations so um for me i think language is like a huge tool um of confidence in that way mm. you have labeled yourself a stubborn learner an autodidact that thrives on self-teaching. You taught yourself guitar at 17. What has been your experience like of learning? Like how did you discover that and what benefits and disadvantages uh, do you think you experience because of this very fact? I would say advantages is that because I have this like stubbornness about like the way that I learn things, I I can kind of like get started on stuff pretty quickly. Like it doesn't, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I guess it's not good in a lot, in some ways, but I can kind of like learn a few skills and then like make the thing that I want to make pretty, pretty quickly. The bad downside is kind of something I deal with now, which is like improper holding of the guitar and improper postures of the guitar have led to like a lot of the pain that I have in my arms and hands now. You know, I think that there are pros and cons to um, kind of going about teaching yourself stuff and then learning from someone else. I think you just kind of have to, like, discover whatever it, whatever makes you happy, I guess, or whatever serves your goals and focuses, I guess. But I think for me, it's largely been good. I'm so, like, I'm all about, like, efficiency. <laughs> like, I... I recently saw like the inner workings of a uh, like the background of a TV show. I was like an extra in a TV show, so I got to see like how many people work on the set of a TV show, and it was in like I I was like I couldn't believe it. There was like somebody to literally do I mean anything that you could possibly think of, you know, Um, and for someone like me who thrives off like efficiency and like communication, I was just like, this is like a nightmare to me. Um, But I've talked to people that work on those sorts of things. And like, there's a reason for all of that, that safety issues and like, um, and I so I get that. But I think I'm just a bit like, scrappy. And so I just kind of like to have an idea and try to execute it as well as I can at that moment. Um, for whatever reason that is, I think it might just be I'm addicted to that um, that feeling of having an idea, getting it out, and then moving on to the next thing. I'm just like kind of addicted to that process of, um, and you know, I've tried to like fight with that a little bit and slow down when it comes to like creating and things like that. Try to get better at certain things, but. Um, I think it, like, happens naturally. What you do is you end up finding the parts of it that you're really interested in and you give your attention to those things um, just naturally anyways. And then the other things, um, I think you figure out, you find people in your life that can can do those things for you, I think. It's, like, that's kind of what a community is built out of, I guess. I'd like to work on a project with you. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds all of the yeah, um, like that. those like personality tests that you take and things yeah. like the um, the Enneagram or the like Myers-Briggs and stuff. They I always get marked as the architect, which to me, <laughs> so, I know like to other people, it sounds like a positive thing. But to me, it just makes me think of like the person in the corner that's like yelling directions, but like doesn't know how to do anything themselves. <laughs> And that's kind of, I, I mean, it's not too far off from, like, <laughs> from what I do, I guess. I I kind of, like, have an idea, and I want to get it done, and even if I can't do it, you know, it's going to get done. <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> oh, man. In the summer of 2017, 
some things happen to you, and uh, you like to say that you are a good driver. Uh, you got into three car accidents, and all three times you were run into. So a combination of those crashes and some lifelong tendonitis and carpal tunnel like led to your hands literally not working. You were homebound, and it seems like you took this time to document some past trauma, um, which I thought was really interesting in the fact that like you weren't writing songs. You were just kind of like documenting what you were feeling, what was going on. Um, what was that process like for you in like recording yourself talking about these issues that you just like kind of put off forever? Um, and like, what did it feel like versus setting out to write songs? Well, honestly, I think it was really important for me because I think a lot of times um, when we get sort of caught up, and I mean, artists are not um, are not what's the word? Uh, they're not excluded from this, which is uh, you get caught up in like a cycle of of productivity or of um, what the next thing is, um, and you just kind of like forget to process things as they're happening to you, I think. Um, whether that be because you don't want to deal with the emotions of it or it's just too painful or whatever that reason is. Um, everybody has their own thing. But um, I think that that's kind of the, that was where I found myself is um, I found I found myself in a position where physically I couldn't do my job. Like I, my hands weren't working, so I couldn't play instruments and I couldn't tour um, and I couldn't really do much work at all um, with that being said not having usage of my hands but what I did have time to do is think um, and it's a really easy thing to run away from whenever all you have time to do is like is think and process things um, it can be a really really dark well to go down I think um, depending on how much how, how much time has passed that you've been kind of like pushing things down and down and down and um, for me the the documenting of those things like on my voice recorder was a a, a tool that like my uh, my therapist at the time recommended so that way I would because I was always like showing up to therapy sessions and not knowing what to talk about she was like just keep a voice recording so that way you, like, know what you were thinking about that week, like, what was bothering you. Um, so it was that, but then it turned into this thing where I would just go on these long walks and anything that came into my brain that was, like, really uncomfortable for me or or I couldn't quite, like, get out of my head, I would just think about it and talk about it um, to its end, sort of, like, in, I guess, in a really, like, Buddhist way, like, letting it pass through me, like, experiencing it fully. I could be, <laughs> I could be getting that wrong. I don't, I don't actually know much about Buddhism, but I think that that's kind of, like, Sounds a principle right. of, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of songs. I was just, like, trying to heal, honestly. I was just trying to, like, get to a point where I wasn't just in constant emotional and physical pain. So um, I, I think with with any sort of like able-bodied person, you just forget that um, there's like things that you, you just like take for granted um, in terms of even escaping your own thoughts. You can just kind like physically get up and go somewhere. Um, go out to a bar, go to a friend's house, that sort of thing. But because I was just sort of trapped, I guess, um, I had no choice to to kind of deal with this stuff, um, which I think kind of prepped me for COVID, honestly, because I think that's like what a lot of people kind of find themselves in that situation right now where they're just sort of trapped at home and alone with their thoughts way more than what they're used to. Um, but... I, I think what that led to just from a creative standpoint is because I didn't really know that I was processing things that would end up being songs, I get something that um, is way more honest and way more thoughtful, way more thought through um, 
than maybe stuff that I've written in the past. Something that um, hopefully is a bit more universal as well. Um, just because I spent so much time circling a lot of these stories and thoughts and traumas around. And so um, the fact that they turned into songs, I guess, in the, in the long run, um, wasn't planned. And sometimes when you're not planning on something becoming a certain format, um, it allows you to kind of like step out of your, your preconceived like ideas of what something should be within that format, I think. Also, it sounds like in that period of time, you kind of had went through a, a period of searching to find, you know, find your identity apart from like being a musician, since you can't play music, you can't write songs. What did you discover about yourself and your like life's purpose while this is all happening? Um, I mean, I don't, I, I think the life's purpose thing, I actually, what I, what ended up happening is I, I ended up moving away from that idea of, of life's purpose, I think. I think my, my whole existence, my whole adult life anyways, I have always thought of myself or what I was doing in the world as um, moving towards, I guess, something that would like make a mark on society or something like that. And I think what I ended up landing on um, through getting to know like different aspects of myself and um, kind of getting to know myself from scratch again is that really it's just about like, well, for me anyways, um, I find much more joy in my existence and, and not just joy, but I think contentedness is probably the right word. Um, if I just focus from day to day on and not necessarily um, giving myself some sort of template to live up to each day as as well. Oh, that's a good um, way to put it. Yeah, just kind of understanding that um, each day I'm like capable of something different. And um, that could be from a, you know, Western capitalist point of view, it could be very productive. Or the thing I could be capable of doing that day is resting. Or the thing that I could be capable of doing that day is helping someone else achieve something. Um, and I, I find that it's not so much about, like, a life's purpose as it is, um, I guess, a day's purpose. <laughs> um, so that was something that was, like, a huge... I think change for me during this time because of the, because honestly I mean during this time I didn't really think that I was going to get to make another record so like I had to focus just day to day um on finding some sort of sense of content contentedness um with or without music or um creating even, which is kind of like a weird thing because I really thrive off of projects and, and doing things like that. So I had to find um, find the things that I liked or wanted to spend my time doing that didn't necessarily depend on, on uh, producing, <laughs> I guess, things, mm. um, which, which is really good because now when I find myself in, you know, what people would call writer's block or um, find myself overwhelmed by creative projects, um, it's really easy for me to pivot into other things without kind of, I don't get depressed like I used to, I think, like, I, I think I used to deal pretty heavily, well, I don't want to get into that because that's kind of like a, that's a difficult topic and I don't mean from my side I just don't want it to make it sound like I've discovered the <laughs> yeah the like solution for right. uh you know mental illness or something mm -hmm. but I think for me personally it's it's made it a lot easier for me to um to just like deal with day-to-day -day ups and downs because of that hmm. how do you feel or reflect about your former self after after all this it's quite interesting because this album has 
I guess just in its nature, it's a bit nostalgic um, in that it's like looking back before you can move forward sort of thing, dealing with things in your past before you can move forward. But I think what it has in turn made me is sort of less nostalgic, more concerned with um, the present, not necessarily even the future, but just more concerned with the present rather than my past because I've, I've always like naturally been a pretty nostalgic person um, over romanticizing things of my past without like seeing the struggles in them or whatever that is and I think that that can be kind of limiting um, for an artist to always like fall back on on nostalgia as like the creative process so um, I haven't really thought too much about my past self since the record being done because it was sort of my my catharsis it was my way of of like coming into this new um I guess reincarnation of myself or something mm-hmm. um but I do feel I feel like sorry for her in a lot of ways that she could have expressed a lot more I think if 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 she had like dealt with some of this stuff earlier. Um, but I also know that like the body and the mind tends to only deal with things successfully whenever it's ready. So mm. there's really nothing that I can say in terms of like, if only you would have done this earlier, right. you know, right. I tend to be a slow learner, I think. So I tend to because I'm like that stubborn, like autodidact you're talking about. Sometimes it takes someone telling me something a few times before I actually believe them, I think. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's all, it's all based on, you know, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to absorb things until you're like actually ready to, to do something about them, I mm-hmm. think. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think too much about it. It's interesting to like sing songs that I wrote back then or um, think about my creative process from, before this time um, because it seems it's like hard to remember I talk about this a little like in some of the songs on the record like Joey and High Horse like them kind of being about that feeling of you having like lived all of these different lives and sometimes you like remember something because um, you know that it happened to you but you can't like remember it innately like you can't put yourself in that place and say like yeah, I remember what that felt like. And I, I feel that that's a bit how, that's a bit the the position that I feel right now. Um, I, I, I feel really like untethered by a lot of my past life um, right now. So I find that to be a good thing. And so it's really hard to talk about. Um, and I don't mean hard, like emotionally hard. It's just like, I actually don't, I, like it's a bit of amnesia almost. Like right. I don't, really remember what it was like um and i am okay with that because i think it it helps me like in in it helps me keep like my momentum like in the present which is nice Mm. after the accidents and regaining your strength through physical therapy how has your guitar playing changed and how has that affected your writing so i still am not like a hundred percent Actually, I don't even think I'm, like, really 50% in terms of how long I can play the guitar or, like, what I can do on it, like, as I was before. Um, Because I do still, like, struggle with with that. Like, it's at a manageable level now, but it's still... um, I still struggle with pain there. And so I've really moved into writing in open tunings a lot more because it's a bit easier on my hands um is it just like um the i don't play guitar so i don't know like what the difference would be between open tuning and not opening open tunings oh so um for example like if i'm playing in a open if i'm playing in a standard tuning like there would be a lot of like bar chords which i like bar chords i like the sound of them where you'd have to like press down like with one finger, you'd press down every string on the guitar and then your remaining 
three fingers would make a chord behind that. Oh, okay. So it's basically just like your whole hand is like oh, yeah. completely constricted. You're like white knuckling the neck. I and the reason why that is for me is because I like I like the sound of a bar chord. Um, I like the voicing of it. There are ways to make chords without bar chords, but the voicings just don't really like respond. I, I don't respond to those voicings as much. But with open tunings, you're basically like you're you're tuning the the strings to make a chord already. Whenever you strum them, oh, okay. I don't know why. I just like strum that, and it's <laughs> in a standard tuning. But yeah, you're. You're just tuning the strings to where everything is already a chord, right. even if I wasn't holding anything down. And then you can kind of make things just by pressing things like a finger or two at a time up and down the neck. So your your hand is kind of constantly getting a break every, t- every time you right. like pluck, pluck a string. So, so if you were to play a show, you would need... I mean, in a perfect world, you probably would have like 10 guitars and 10 different tunings. Yeah, I mean, that would be the perfect world. I kind of have a joke, like, in my shows because I do all of the tuning changes in between songs because I just have one guitar Um, because my guitar that I have is, like, not super cheap, so it's, like, hard to have multiple guitars as, like, a working musician. Um, But Jeff Tweedy of Wilco, like, when he plays a solo show... He has like seven or eight guitars just like in a semicircle behind him. Yeah. And they're all like in the different tunings or whatever that he needs. And I, I have a joke about like that being like heaven to me. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I've just had to get really good at changing tunings in between songs um, quickly, which has led to me telling a lot of stories, some entertaining and some a bit long-winded I'm afraid but Mm. um in the in terms of playing live I kind of have to strategically plan you know the order of songs for like how much one song hurts my hand versus what Mm. I can play after that so like there's a song on the new record called Garden Dove um that is actually like my hand hurts so bad just in the first verse of playing it like it's just it's really hard for me to play Mm. um because it's all bar chords the entire song and um and I didn't really think of that whenever I recorded it the fact that I would have to play it um live but after that I just go for something that's just like a really uh low-key open tuning song Mm. um so that way I have like three minutes four minutes for my hand to recover before I have to move on to the next thing. But it's an interesting thing. I wish I could convey that to everybody that like has to see me play or has to like every promoter that books me. Cause there's like reasons why I'm like, I can only play an hour. Like it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not because I'm a diva. It's because like, I'm, I'm like trying to, you know, for longevity here. So. <laughs> right. Okay. I want to hear about basket weaving. <laughs> And Marty. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, I'll talk about basket weaving first because I don't have, like, a whole lot to say about it, which is – it basically is just I've wanted to learn how to basket weave my whole life. It's been something that's, like, super it's, – it's super important in my tribe. It's super important um, – it's always been something that I've loved. Like, anytime I go to, like, art museums or craft fairs or anything, I'm just, like, so obsessed with baskets. I've always loved them. I've always assumed it'd just be, like, way too hard for me to do and require too much patience or something like that. But, um, yeah, during lockdown, I just, like, dove in, and so now I, like, weave baskets, which is cool. Um, It's really peaceful and really meditative, and... It's not hard on your hands or anything? No, surprisingly, um, the movements are more, like... I think are less like finger intensive and it's more like I can just kind of like move a move a reed out of its way with like my whole hand. So like I could do it with mittens on really like, (laughs) you know, it's just kind of, it's at least the kind that I do. I'm sure that there is some that's a bit more like finger, tiny motor movement intensive, but the ones that I do are, are more just like basic 
flat weaving, so um, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of pressure. Plus, you could just, like, take a break. It's not, like, a big deal. It's not like you're on a time crunch to finish your basket you're not, or anything. You're not performing a concert <laughs> no. basket weaving. Yeah, so I've just gotten really into that. Um, and then Marty is my, like, animal rescue dog that I got at the beginning of lockdown. I I tend to be, like, a pretty... Um, the word like reclusive person I guess like I I've always been kind of a homebody puttering around the house like don't need like a a whole lot of human interaction or so I thought I think the reason (laughs) I thought that is because I was pairing this like really quiet home life with a really active like social life in terms of touring and you know interviews and things like that and so because once I got home and it was just quiet and I was alone and it was, um, I couldn't see anybody and it just like started getting, it's just, I, I reached like the end of the spectrum of my solitude, I guess. And, uh, and so I adopted Marty <laughs> and I'm like obsessed with him. He's the best. Um, I think. He's been, it's been really good for me to just, like, every morning, just for my, like, quality of life, I think, like, every morning I have to wake up and feed him and take him for a walk. I don't have time to, like, wallow in bed about, like, how depressed I am that my life isn't going um, the way that I would like it to be (laughs) in the year of an album release or something like that. So, um, and I think for people that are, I don't know, for someone of my disposition, it's really nice just to have, like, a a dog uh, that gives you like unrequited or, or just like um not unrequited um unconditional unconditional love yeah um but he's the best and we just go we just walk all the time <laughs> how big is he he's he's actually pretty small he's only like 30 pounds he's full grown um he's a, he's a super mutt we've I finally got like the DNA test on him because I was just like I have no idea what kind of dog this is <laughs> and he's like part mini Aussie part pit bull part Staffordshire terrier part bulldog part German shepherd part burger Picard or some dog that I'm not familiar with um he's just like a crazy combination of all of these things but nice He's good. He's scrappy, but, like, lovable, and, yeah, he's good. Sounds like you got a good match. Yeah, perfect match, for sure. Yeah. All right, um, before we go, can we do the lightning round? Oh, yeah, sure. Yes, all right, Uh, here we go. Um, Samantha Crane, what is the first song you learned on the guitar? Uh, Dandelions by Five Iron Frenzy. (laughs) Uh, Which is a Christian ska band. (laughs) On brand. Very on brand. brand. Yeah. Oh, no, off brand. Okay. Uh, What is your karaoke song? The um, Belinda Carlisle song. um, I can't think of it now all of a sudden. uh, Or Always and Forever by Donna Lewis. I love you always, ever, near and far. Yeah, for some reason my my mind is blanking on the... um, on the Belinda Carlisle one. Did you know that Donna Lewis song set set a record in the 90s for being the most played song on radio ever? I believe it. It's like, I feel like I listen to it every day of my childhood. Yeah. It's a it's a golden hit. For sure. Uh, what is your coffee order? My coffee order is, this is something that I've recently gotten into, is a sparkling cold brew. So it's like cold brew with sparkling water. Wow. All mixed in. It's great. It's intriguing. It's like coffee soda. It's weird. Wow. <laughs> but it's great. What is your favorite junk food? Favorite junk food is pizza. First album you bought with your own money? It was probably the Spice Girls record. Yeah. That whatever that was called. Spice World? Spice I, World. No, I don't, yeah, okay. Or was it Spice Up Your Life? It was whatever all of the first hits were off of. I don't want to be in all of that. What a magical time. Spice Up Your Life? Yeah. What is your first concert? First concert was um, DC Talk, Jennifer Knapp, and the W's. These so are Christian, Christian, Christian bands, yeah. yeah. But but mega names in the world. Right. So anybody 
that grew up in that mm-hmm. <laughs> in that world would know would know what I'm talking about. I recognize Jennifer Knapp. I think. Yeah, she was like the first like lesbian Christian singer songwriter. Mm. Yes. She was like the Christian's world an- Christian world answer to like Alanis Morissette and Ani DeFranco sort of. <laughs> uh, last book you read? Miss Everything is what it's called. That's convenience right in front of you. Yeah, it's like right there. I just put it <laughs> on the shelf. Um, it's just like a you know beach read. Cool. Pretty, pretty uh, low impact. <laughs> Flying or invisibility? Flying. Star Trek or Star Wars? Neither. Like, I don't care. <laughs> okay, what about this one? Lord of the Rings or Narnia? Oh, dang, that's hard. I think the nostalgia might be too hard for me with this one, so I'm going to have to go Narnia. Mm. The Christian one. Yeah. <laughs> okay last question where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited I would have to say Ghent Belgium oh nice I have not been to Ghent but uh, um, really just Belgian Belgium in general is just so beautiful my friend lives there Uh, she's a fiddle player sorry I just get very excited (laughs) (laughs) A lot of good bread, a lot of good beer in yeah. Belgium. Yeah. And a lot of beautiful old buildings. Nice. Well, Samantha Crane, thank you so much for doing the lightning round and being on Basic Folk and telling us about Marty the dog. Of course. New record is Yeah, if awesome. anyone wants to see more pictures of Marty, I post them on my Instagram um, regularly. <laughs> cool. I will put one on the website, too, so people can see. Um, cool. Yeah, I, uh, I hope you get up to 75% and then 100% um, and thanks for making this record it's really awesome yeah you're welcome I had a great time making it Basic Folk This Week, produced by Laura McCarthy. Our business manager is Lindsay Myers. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. Uh, American Songwriter Podcast Network. We are so proud to be a part of that uh, podcast family. I'm Cindy House, the host of Basic Folk. You can find all of the episodes at my website, cindyhouse.net, or where you get your podcasts. Hope you are hanging in there. Miss you so much. Thank you for listening. It's just like so good to see you. Okay, bye.